Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. My name is Julie Peterson, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today for Highway's weekly podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, it's hard to believe it's already August. The summer, it seems to be flying. Throughout the summer, we've been moving through our teaching series entitled Eyes to See. Jesus saw differently, and throughout this series, we're reflecting on who and what and the way in which Jesus saw as he announced and demonstrated a new upside-down kingdom. And as part of this, we're considering what it can look like for Christ followers to be a part of the continued inbreaking of that upside-down kingdom in our own time and in our own place by seeing differently with eyes like Jesus. Seeing is a spiritual practice, and if you happen to be on social media, I encourage you to find us on Facebook or Instagram and check out our Seeing Spiritual Practices. This involves reading the core passage from that week's message and then reflecting on questions which we hope will encourage space to experience and enter into invitations midweek, which attune us to the Spirit's guiding as we desire to see in the way that Jesus sees. Jesus sees the kingdom and he sees the unseen. Jesus sees faith, and he sees hypocrisy. And, as we'll explore today, Jesus sees grief. Our passage today, it it paints an incredible picture of Jesus, and this picture in many ways is encapsulated by just a few words. These few words, which in most translations comprise the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. While famously short, it's also incredibly profound. As the adage goes, big things come in small packages. And this short, compact verse tells us something enormous about Jesus. It tells us something enormous about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, his identity, is something very important to John, who's the author of today's passage. In fact, at the very beginning of the book of John, in chapter 1, verse 1, he casts light on who Jesus is, the Word with God, in the beginning, who not only was with God, but who also was God. Through the Gospel according to John, we can learn a great deal about who Jesus is, including what's revealed about him through his seven statements, which begin with the words, I am. These seven self-descriptive statements point to his divinity. They point to Jesus as God incarnate. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. The Gospel of John contains truth after truth about the identity of Jesus, and today's passage beautifully and powerfully illuminates something profound about who Jesus is, revealed through what he does. Jesus, the Son of Man, God with us, is the God who weeps. Jesus is God who weeps with us. Jesus receives deeply sad news at the beginning of John chapter 11. He receives word from Mary and Martha that their brother Lazarus is sick. Jesus cares so much about each of them. John chapter 11 verse 4 tells us that when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, 
It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so it isn't surprising that Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus to tell him about his beloved friend's illness. Also, in sending word to Jesus, they open a door for him to come and be by Lazarus' side with hopes that Jesus, who's performed signs or miracles, would come and heal their brother. And so I think that if Mary and Martha were actually there with Jesus in this moment, that they'd be on a full-on emotional roller coaster as Jesus says that their brother's sickness won't end in death, but then stays where he is for two more days. And it's not like Jesus is just down the road. He's a full day's journey from them. And this is because, as can be seen earlier in chapter 10, Jesus fled their vicinity when the religious leaders there had tried to stone him. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus's home in Bethany, which is less than two miles from Jerusalem, it's some distance away and will take some time to get to. So Jesus gets word about Lazarus being sick and waits for two days. And then, perfectly aligned with God's perfect timing, he departs and makes the trek to Lazarus, despite what this means to being in proximity to the religious leaders who, not long ago, tried to kill him. This is so risky. It actually seems like a suicide mission to his disciples. By the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And there's this funeral of sorts going on at Mary and Martha's home. In this day, custom had it that people would come and care for those who suffered the loss of a loved one, and they would provide emotional and practical forms of support for them, sitting in sadness with them and providing meals, especially in the first week following a loss. And so it isn't surprising that many people are there comforting Mary and Martha. And in the meanwhile, Lazarus's body, wrapped in grave clothes, lies nearby in a tomb. The first to greet Jesus is Martha. She meets him outside the village and shares with her great faith, her belief that had Jesus been there earlier, that her brother wouldn't have died. After she receives assurances from him that Lazarus will rise again, she returns to Mary, calls her aside, and lets her know privately that Jesus is here and asking for her. In verse 29, we see that. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So, Mary's told privately that Jesus is asking for her, and her quick departure draws the mourner's attention to her. And while Martha is able to slip out solo, Mary leaves with company as the mourners follow her, presumably to grieve with her at Lazarus's tomb. So let's continue on in our narrative, starting in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary falls, prostrate at Jesus' feet. And like her sister, Mary speaks with faith, perhaps even pleading, as she says to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd been here sooner, my brother, Lazarus, whom you love, he, he would still be with us. And then she weeps. Verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus sees Mary and the Jews who were with her weeping, and scripture provides two words or phrases to describe his emotional response. First, Jesus is deeply moved in spirit. Deeply moved. We'll see this phrase attributed to Jesus again in verse 38 as he approaches Lazarus's tomb. A similar phrase is found in Mark 14, which was used to describe the indignant response of onlookers when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus using expensive oil. So the tenor here of Jesus' emotion isn't one of sorrow, but one of indignance or outrage or anger. Jesus is angry. The second thing we're told of Jesus' emotional response is that he's greatly troubled. Troubled. The same root word for this in Greek can also be seen with reference to the waters of the pool at Bethesda in John chapter 5. These waters, which were believed to have healing properties, the stirring of which would allow those seeking healing to access the water. Jesus was troubled. It could also be said that Jesus is agitated. Jesus was stirred up. So, Jesus is angry and he is agitated. Why? Why these intense emotions? It isn't that he's angry at those who are weeping. No, no. He's, he's angry at the reason that they weep, the source of their grief. Jesus is angry and agitated at death itself. The destructive force that is death, the reality of death, and the tumult and pain and grief that is its wake, its distortion upon God's image bearers physically and emotionally, tremendous emotion stirs within Jesus as he bears witness to the human suffering which flows from death. And being fully human, Jesus also personally experiences the human suffering that flows from it himself. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus sees the long and dark shadow that death casts upon humanity. He sees it in Mary as she grieves. He sees it in those who grieve beside her. And he's deeply moved in spirit and deeply troubled by the suffering and sorrow that is caused by the last enemy that is death. The enemy that is death, which he will ultimately and utterly defeat. Where have you laid him, Jesus asks. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
Jesus asked the location of the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he's taken there. And then the profound. Jesus wept. Jesus, the word at the beginning. Jesus, God with us. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Jesus, who will willingly walk to the cross and suffer and die and then rise and conquer death and be enthroned. This Jesus, King Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, he wept. Jesus, who was fully God, was also fully human. And as he walked among us, he experienced the very real and painful human emotion of grief. Here we, we see Jesus grieve from the space of personal pain. And his grief here is manifest as tears. The Greek word used here, get at Jesus crying, it's, it's quiet tears which is in contrast to the word used to describe the mourners crying, which suggests sobbing or wailing. Those self-same mourners, they, they look at Jesus and see something beautiful and moving in his quiet tears. Grief is an outworking or product of love. And so when the mourners see Jesus' grief in his tears, they see love in it. They see love in Jesus' tears. They look at Jesus and his tears and they say, see how much he loved him. Jesus experiences grief born from his own personal pain. And Jesus also experiences grief over the pain suffered by Mary. Jesus saw Mary as she wept. He saw her in her mourning. He saw her in her grief and enters into it and shares it and empathizes with her. In Jesus' day and time, the idea that a God would sympathize, much less empathize, with humanity was really foreign. Ancient deities weren't concerned about humans, quite the opposite. Humans were seen as objects to be used and manipulated, and these deities tended not to express emotion. They were often stoic. Stoicism is an ancient Greek philosophy which values emotional detachment. The idea was that through indifference, self-sufficiency, and self-control, one could do away with feelings and ultimately eliminate emotion until reaching a stage of not feeling or caring what happens to oneself or anyone else. Not feeling and not caring about anything or anyone. This is one of the prevailing philosophies of the day. And then there is Jesus. And then there is Jesus who feels deeply. And then there is Jesus who feels for and then feeds a hungry crowd of thousands. And there is Jesus who with holy outrage confronts dishonest money changers in the temple. Jesus who sweat drops of blood as he prayed in agony in the garden as he neared the cross. And then there is Jesus 
who, while mourning and experiencing pain from the loss of a friend, also experiences pain on behalf of another beloved friend who is suffering her own loss. And then there is Jesus, who weeps. Jesus feels deeply, and he bears sorrow, and he enters into the sorrow of others. Isaiah 53.3 tells us, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus can enter into the suffering and sorrow of others because he knows these human emotions firsthand. He's familiar with pain. He knows what it is to hurt deeply. Jesus, man of sorrows, he enters into and feels and shares Mary's pain, even though he knows that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Jesus will come to the tomb where Lazarus lies and offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God, and to and for the glory of God will resurrect Lazarus as he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. But first, he empathizes. First, Jesus weeps. God empathizes with us. And while he knows there will be a time where his kingdom is fully manifest, a time in which every tear will be wiped from every eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and the old broken order of things will pass away, well, while God knows all this, he feels our pain deeply and empathizes with us. And he, he calls us to feel deeply and empathize with others as well. Empathy has been defined as the ability to understand and share in the feelings of another. When we see grief, we're invited to empathize with those who hold pain in their hearts. And as we enter into that, we share in something with them. And when we are present with others in the space of empathy, we extend a precious and priceless gift. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And so, let us rejoice with those who rejoice, but also let us weep with those who weep like Jesus, entering into grief and holding it before God is the sacred practice of lament. Lament is the language of the brokenhearted, and it serves some really important functions. It's a way of communicating to God a loss or a pain. It's a cry out to him because we know his character and trust that he'll sit with us in that pain and respond based on his loving, faithful, and gracious character. Lament is a way of communicating to God. Lament is also a way of communicating to others. We communicate something important to others when we lament on their behalf, on behalf of their pain. It's a way to communicate that we sit beside them, that we sit with them in their pain. So lament is a way we communicate to God and a way we communicate to others. And also, 
lament points us towards the God of hope. When we lament, our hearts are pointed towards Jesus Christ, in whom and through whom we find our hope. Lament isn't something the American church typically presses into. It so often focuses on the joyful, and while there's immeasurable joy in the gift and reality of the resurrected Jesus Christ and his blessings in our day-to-day lives, as we sit in the reality of the kingdom of God breaking through only partially and not yet fully, lament is vital. As we engage the language of lament, we engage a language that's been spoken by God's people for thousands of years. The Bible is filled with prayers of lament. There are over 65 in the book of Psalm alone. Today, we join with the voices of the ages across time and place and bring sorrow before God and enter into a time of lament. We'll hold a few minutes of silence for a time of lament and lift grief or sorrow or heaviness to God. Perhaps it's your own sorrow. It's important to see our own personal pain. It's important to see our own grief. It's good to acknowledge it and to enter into it like Jesus did as he wept. Perhaps during our time of lament, the sorrow you feel called to lift to God is that of another. Or perhaps you're sharing in heaviness with them. Maybe you're holding sorrow personally and also feeling sorrow with them, for them. Lift this to God. So, would you join with me now and consider a heaviness the Spirit may be lying on your heart and calling you to bring to God whether your own or that of another, or both. And bring this before God, who weeps with us and for us. Let's take a few minutes in silence and lament.
Almighty God, you are our strength and comfort. And we thank you that we can come to you when we are weak and brokenhearted. We thank you that you are a God who feels our sorrow with us, that you empathize with our pain. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your self-emptying journey during which you felt all manner of pain, discomfort, and grief because you loved us. Holy Spirit, would you meet us in our heartache? Thank you for interceding, for interceding for us on our behalf when all we have are wordless groans. And we love you, Father God. And we thank you for holding us and meeting us and inviting us to rest in the arms of your love as we grieve. Amen.